Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Welcome to church. And uh, if you're here because someone invited you, they said... Um, you said you'd come one day. Today is your one day. We especially welcome you uh, to this place. My name's Bron. I'm one of the pastors here and um, the very handsome man that spoke at the start of the service and slipped in a football reference, as he does, is my husband. And uh, we're, we're pastor here together at this church. We love this church. And um, we're re- very grateful that you're here. When I was 20 years old, I went to New Zealand with some girlfriends and I um, went to Lake Taupo and we are driving past and we saw that there was a bungee um, platform and I went right now's my time and I said who's with me and everyone said nope and I said right I'm doing it I'm doing it so I went and uh, and I, I had to get weighed and they wrote in thick black text in my weight on my hand that was unfortunate and um, I got up and I I stood on the bungee platform and the nerves that racked me were unlike anything I've felt before I can even feel them right now just thinking about it and uh, he stood and, and just looked down at the water. And I'd ask that maybe I could just touch the water. That they, they have all the calculations. That's why they needed to write that big number on my hand so that they could figure out all the calculations so that I could just touch the water and then rebound back up. And there's people waiting with a rubber dinghy off to the side and they were going to collect me when I finally stopped flopping around. And, uh, and so I, I, I was there and, and, and the guy said, three, two, one, bungee. And I was just... For me, I just go silent. That's it. Like nothing, no scream, nothing, just terrified silence. And down I went and and it was awesome. It was one of the best experiences of my life. So much so that the guy had this big pole in the in the um in the raft. They obviously hadn't communicated the number on my hand to him because when he I grabbed the pole, he was like, whoa, nearly got reefed out of the boat. And uh, and so um then he stopped, he reefed me back in, they undid my legs, and I was just laughing, and I was like, that was awesome. And, uh, and they went, oh, the second one's half price. I was like, really? Yes! And so they took me off to the side and I like ran back up the hill, ran, walked, uh, back up the hill and this huge mountain that you had to climb back up to get up the top and the girls were very indulgent. They waited for me down the bottom. And I'm like, yes, ready for it, ready for it. All of a sudden the nerves started again. I went out to the edge. They put these huge big um, bracelets around your ankles to attach the rope to. I went out to the edge with this huge weight around my ankles and I'm ready. And uh, the lovely man said, excuse me, ma'am, because it was in Taupo in New Zealand. Excuse me, ma'am, would you just like to sit back down here, please? And I went, sure. And so I shuffled back off the edge of the platform and sat down and he clipped the rope on my <laughs> bracelets. He, he had been really calm because he didn't want to upset me while I was at the edge. And so, excuse me, ma'am, you just want to sit back down, please? And, and, and I thought that I had this huge weight around my ankles and so I was ready to go. And I, I was like, I was set, but fortunately he saved my life. I do say that if it had have not worked out, I would have just done a Pocahontas perfect dive into the water and come up no worries at all but um but you know even so I'm grateful to that lovely Kiwi man you know I just want to tell you this morning you're in church I don't know how you're feeling I don't know if you've been invited or or what it feels like to you you're not unhinged in this moment this moment for you is not like that moment you can just relax you can he's got this you know if God is God 
And he can cause the earth to spin on its axis at the perfect angle so we don't burn or freeze. He's got you this morning. So you can just relax in this place and just observe and chill and just uh, and enjoy the service today. I'm going to be um, speaking to you from the passage that Jono just read. And I just want to tell you about Northwest Church. Um, maybe you've never been in a place like this with lights and stuff like that. But um, here at Northwest Church, essentially, we're just a bunch of people that love God. And uh, we, we just really, really love God. And um, we find that He actually maybe isn't the God that we thought He was that his kindness has led us to repentance, that his goodness has actually drawn us in rather than his anger pushing us out. Um, he, he is such a good God. And, and, and maybe it was that where we started, where we thought he was angry at us and it gave us a God awareness, but it's not for many of us where we've ended up. I look around this room and I see so many people who thought that God was angry with them, but now whose lives have been irrevocably and eternally changed because of the love that he has shown them and the love that he's poured out to them and the grace that he's extended to them. So that is really what holds us together. That's what we all hold in common. No matter what our differences, that's what holds us all in common. We've come to realize that he loved us so much that he did not want us to be in eternal separation from him, to have that distance between us always. He loved us so much that he said, no, I I won't put up with that. And in fact, I'm going to do whatever it takes in order to bring you back into relationship with me. So he sent his son, Jesus, and he said, well, whoever believes in him won't die, won't live in that eternal separation called hell, but in fact, will have eternal life. And so we've come to realize that, come to accept that life, come to accept that grace, come to accept that love, and are so glad that we did. You might say, well, okay, that's not how I know God to be. And Bron, if that's God for you, that's fine. But that's not God for me. I don't feel like that at all. And it's interesting that we will allow that about God. That's God for you, but that's not who God is for me. God for me is largely silent. God for me has been distant. God for me (coughs) is the reason that it's taken me so long to get to church. Then you all had to put this one day thing on and I had no excuses left. So I'm here. Maybe that's how you feel. And we'll allow that for God. Who God is for you isn't who God is for me, but we won't allow that in a person. Like when I remember a friend of mine who didn't go to church, she said to me, Bron, how about that girl, that friend of yours who did go to church? Thanks now. Now's 30th birthday yesterday, everybody. Um, this girl said that friend of yours she's rude I said oh no 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 I thought the same thing we used to go to the gym together and I found her to be really aloof as well and I'd try to make conversations and she never talked to me but but she started coming to church and she's actually a really nice person and my other friend said no Bron who she was when she didn't know you is who she is and I was like oh oh ouch and, and we won't allow that who you are for me is different to who you are for me in a person, but we allow it for God. So what I want us to do today is actually look at God, who God truly is. And God is like this diamond. Diamonds have 58 facets. And, uh, and they, well, um, princess cut diamonds have 58 facets. I did my research. And, uh, and they all reflect light. Every facet reflects light differently, refracts light differently, which is a word I didn't even know existed before this week. But they all reflect and refract and reflect light very differently. But the diamond is a diamond. That's what it is. 
And we might see different aspects of God, but who God is is who He is. And He has even chosen to reveal Himself in His Word. And so today, if we can just get a picture of who God is, maybe a side we haven't seen before, then I'll consider that my job done. Maybe if you remember something that you've forgotten about God, then I'll consider my job done. Maybe if a knowledge about God goes a little bit deeper in you, then I'll be really blessed and consider my job done. You see, in Revelations chapter 1, verse 8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who was and who, no, He is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. One verse out of 31,202 verses in the Bible. And God in that one verse reveals Himself eight different ways. He says, I am. That actually is a word Yahweh in the Hebrew that means this ever-present with you kind of God as close as the air that you're breathing. I am. The Alpha, He's at the start. He is the start. The Omega, He is the finish. Says the Lord, the one who wants to be the ruler of our life, who actually wants us to come into submission to Him. The Lord, God, Elohim who is the maker of heaven and earth. Everything comes into rulership under Him. He is over everything. Who is, speaking of the present, who was, speaking of the past, who is to come, speaking of the future, the Almighty. Eight different facets of God in one verse out of 31,202 in the Bible. So, so let's dive into the passage that we read this morning and see what God would tell us about Himself. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1 says, who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? It's even right up front. Who would have thought that God's saving power would look like this? I just want to encourage you this morning. Can you just parking lot your perceptions in, just for the rest of this service? Just like, okay, okay, I've got all these thoughts about God. I, I'm just going to parking lot them and open my heart and open my mind to what he might say. Because who would have thought it looked like this? Verse 2, the servant grew up before God. A scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. This is written 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, but it's speaking of Jesus. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. If you thought this morning that God looks down on you and thinks that you're scum, that's not who he is. We looked down on him when he came to earth and thought he was scum. He doesn't look at our scum and run away from us. He looks at our scum and runs toward us and says, I can help you with that if you'll let me. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. I don't know what you think when you hear the word sins. Maybe you're like, judgment alert, I've come to church, they're talking about sin, I feel judged, I don't like it. Maybe that's you this morning in our hyper-allergenic world of any kind of judgment. That don't judge me, don't talk to me about sin. Well, can we just look at how we define sin in the very next passage here? He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing gone our own way. That's how we define sin. That we just wandered off. We got lost. That we just did our own thing and we just went our own way. That's how he defines sin. And is there anyone in the room like that this morning? I'll put my hand up first. We're talking that that's sin. I'm a sinner. 
And if sin has to have recompense, if sin has to be paid for, then he gave and emptied his royal treasury in order to pay for us, knowing that we couldn't pay. It says here, and God has piled all our sins, everything, everything we've done wrong on him, on him. Everything. I don't know what you're holding back thinking, well, God wouldn't pay for that. Everything, whether it was this morning, whether it was a thought you had in worship, everything on him. Verse 7, he was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Now, that doesn't mean that sheep who get slaughtered and are sheared are just forever in silence. I grew up on a sheep farm. I used to use the sheep race as my slippery dip, like just down the lanolin. Um, and it was very slippery. If you don't know what lanolin is, you're a city folk and a townie. And, uh, and, and so we um, used to, th- th- and the sheep, oh my goodness, they did not be shorn in silence, that's for sure. Meh! Oh, um. We had six sheep on our farm. And, but but what, it, what it's saying is that he was like a lamb and a sheep being shorn and he was silent. He was silent. Don't uh, get hung up on that. Uh, he was silent. This is 700 years before it actually happened. Justice miscarried and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? Fast forward 700 years to historical accounts being written rather than this prophetic writing being written about the future. Now historical accounts being written about what's just happened and all the people who were there living. So if it didn't happen, they're all saying, that's a load of rubbish. Do away with that letter. Do away with that book. They're right there in the midst of it. And it's being written. And Mark chapter 14, verse 65, a historical account says, then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. This is Jesus. They struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Like a lamb, he was beaten. He's tortured, but he didn't say a word. Mark chapter 15, verse 4 to 5, uh, he gets dragged before the prefect of Rome, of a Roman province called Judea. And it says, and Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing. Much to Pilate's surprise, he took it all in silence, it said, for 700 years earlier. And then this historical account says that's exactly what happened. Back to Isaiah. He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never heard a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Luke chapter 23, verse 34 says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. People heard Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He had no thought for his own welfare. Mark chapter 15, verse 43 says that Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. You see, he, Jesus was thrown into the grave of a rich man, which it says back there 700 years earlier. Verse 10 of Isaiah, still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he'd give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it, life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Do you know that plan that's prospering right now? If you call Northwest Church home, if you call Jesus your God, if you call him your saviour, if you call him the boss of your life, you're the plan that's prospering. Life, life and more life that's coming through him to you. 
In verse 11, it says, out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones as he, carry, he himself carries the burden of their sins. The writer of Hebrews says that we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who in view of the joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He saw that it was worth it, and he was glad that he did it because of us, because of you today. Even if you don't know Jesus today, because of you, that's why he did it. And the last verse of this chapter, Therefore I'll reward him, reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honours, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch, because he embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his own shoulders the sin of many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. Of all the black sheep. Have you got a black sheep in your family? And don't answer that, DJ. <laughs> Have you got a black sheep in your family? Obviously, it's referring to the idiom that's a waywardness, the wayward child of the family, the, the, the kid that doesn't quite fit in, doesn't quite make it. Do you have one in your family? Do you have one in your extended family? Uh, if you haven't got one in all the people that you know, it might be you. Um, so, but but there's a, there, it's an idiom, isn't it, about waywardness, the, the, the one that just kind of got everything wrong, didn't quite fit in. And, and, uh, but the actual fact about literal sheep is that black sheep come because of a recessive gene. They can't help it. They weren't like, all these white sheep, I'm not, I don't want anything to do with you, I'm going to be black. No, in the sheep, it's a recessive gene that pops out and they become a black sheep. We are carriers of a recessive gene called sin, called wanting to go our own way. <laughs> you might be like, that's a bit harsh, Brom, but, but do you want to go your own way? Because I sure do. We're all carrying this recessive gene. And even Paul, the writer of the New Testament, two-thirds of the New Testament, he carried this recessive gene. And he says in Romans, he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. Paul, what? <laughs> but do you identify with some of that? I've discovered this principle of life, he says, that when I want to do right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still with me. He can't even speak anymore. He's so messed up. Oh, what a miserable person I am, he says. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I've discovered this principle of life. He just said that. He just said that, Paul. Come on. Verse 25. Thank God. Thank God, he says. I'm so miserable, but thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation 
for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Thank God. What does that mean? It means that we can't get this done on our own. That's all that means. We try and we try and we try. We cannot get this done on our own. We focus on ourselves. We cannot get this done on our own. We need to focus on the life-giving power of God in us, at work in us. You see, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 29 and 30, and also Revelations 3.18, I think somewhere there at least, 8.13, I think, it says that before the foundation of the world, that the Lamb of God was slain for the people of the world. So this was always God's plan. It's just that it showed up 700 years after Isaiah predicted it. But he always had the plan to rescue us from our sin. So I'm going to call for the whiteboard now and we're going to wrap up. And um, very blessed to have uh, stage managing Nathan Robinson, but also Uncle Ray. Daz's Uncle Ray. Famous Uncle Ray. Can we just bring it a bit more over? Na- oh, can you guys see that from there? Great. Wonderful. Thank you, Nay. And I just want to, this morning, I just want to show you three circles. And I want you to self-identify. We'll talk a little bit more about it. But we're, we're done. All, all but done. I'm going to show you three circles. I want to tell you something about a diamond. And then I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to the message today. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat. I'm not going to ask you to make yourself prominent or anything like that. This is a private moment, but I'm going to show you three circles and then tell you something about a diamond. You see, the world is represented in this circle, and our world is broken. Does anyone agree with that? Our world is messed up. It, you only need to watch the news, read the newspaper, walk down the street late at night, or... Our world is messed up. Our world is broken. But God never had an intention for the world to be like that. That was not his intention. Yes, he did know it would happen and considered us worth creating the world anyway because he loved us so much. He looked down through time and saw you and thought, I still need to create you. But he never intended that to be the plan. His plan was for a world that was united, a world that was full of love, of joy, of hope, of of. of Everything that we love about life, his plan was that for the world. But our sin threw us into brokenness. Like I said, we just went our own way. We stopped looking and wanting to do his, what he said, and we just did our own thing. And so we were thrown into brokenness. And then we tried to fix this up and we still do, don't we? What's yours? What do you do to try and fix this up, this brokenness that you feel on the inside? Is it, is it drugs? Is it a career? Is it your family? You just put your life into your family and, and hope that that'll stop you from that broken feeling? Is it, is it, what is it for you? But whatever we try here, we just get snapped back to this brokenness. It doesn't take us anywhere. It doesn't do anything. We just get snapped back to this brokenness again. God looking at us, his heart broke to think of our brokenness. And so he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And Jesus was God's nature, so he couldn't sin. He didn't sin. 
And he died and he rose again. And when he did that, he obliterated sin in our world. He, he, he gave a way for sin to be done away with. You might say, but Bron, I see sin everywhere. That's because in order to access that unbrokenness, we have to trust and believe in him. We have to make him the Lord of our life. We have to trust and believe and make him the Lord of our life. And if we do, he can propel us back to wholeness and he causes us to be a new creation. And he restores us completely. So my question for you this morning is, which circle are you in? Are you in the circle of wholeness, of forgiveness, of peace and love of God? Or are you in brokenness? And if you're in brokenness, what's stopping you from trusting and believing in Jesus and letting him propel you into the wholeness and the goodness of God? The good news is that whatever it is, for all of us, for every single one of us, we have to trust in Jesus to get here. There's no getting around any other way, following one of those squiggly lines out and getting back over here. The only way is to trust in Jesus. And so... If you want to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus, that's like getting clean before having a shower. That's not going to work. You remember, he saw our scum and he ran towards us, not away from us. My husband's the only person I know that has a shower before he goes to the gym. Maybe halfway through the gym, another shower, and then another shower when he gets home. This is not like this. This is acknowledging we're messy and saying, okay, I trust in you. I'm not going to try and clean myself up before I get here. Maybe that's what's kept you back so long from being here. You thought you needed to clean yourself up. No, it's trusting and believing in him, and he will obliterate the sin factor in your life. Diamond. You know how you tell a real diamond? If you put it over a newspaper, it so refracts what's underneath it, that you can't see the print anymore in the newspaper. If you put a cubic zirconia over the newspaper, if you put a quartz over a crystal over the newspaper, you can still see the writing, you can still see the blackness through that stone. But if you put a real diamond over it, blackness is gone, that print is obliterated. Whatever's written in your story under the light of that diamond is dissolved inside the diamond. That's who God is. You might say, it's not who God is for me, yet that's actually who God is. That's what diamond does. That's who it is. So this morning, I just want to ask you if you would close your eyes. The hosts are going to come and take your wallets really quickly while you've got your eyes closed. (laughs) You can keep one hand on your purse if you need to. If you just close your eyes, take a moment. I want you to consider everything that you've just heard. And I want you to consider... Maybe what's going on the inside of you right now, like Neil had that moment where all of a sudden something actually was happening. And I actually believe that God is doing that right now in this place. And so everyone has got their eyes closed except for me and Sarah, and Sarah's looking at the keyboard anyway. But if you are someone today who would like to say, I'm, I, I'm in the circle of brokenness, and I want to be in the circle of God's wholeness. And I want to put my trust 
in Jesus and I want to believe Jesus, would you be bold enough and brave enough this morning to raise your hand in this place while everyone else has got their eyes closed and I'll acknowledge you and you can put it straight back down. So anyone this morning, yes, thank you over on the side. You can put your hand down. Thank you. In the middle, thank you. You can put your hand down. Over on the other side, thank you too. Here, you can put your, your hands down. Over here, thank you. Just casting my eye around. I don't want to move on from this moment too quickly. Thank you over on the side. Trusting and believing in Jesus that He's going to deal with the sin and you're going to live in restored wholeness in the love of God. Anyone else here in this place today? That's so good. Here at Northwest Church, sometimes you'll hear us refer to ourselves as a family and you might be like, youth. Does that mean you're turning up at my house unannounced? No, it just means that we've got something in common and that's our Heavenly Father. So today we want to pray with all of you who raised your hand so you don't need to feel alone in this place. You never need to walk alone. You never need to feel alone. And we're going to pray together. So I'm going to pray and I'd ask if you could all join with me and pray after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for showing me who you are this morning. Thank you for Jesus. I put my trust in him. I want to follow him. I believe in him and make him Lord of my life. Help me to know how to do that. Amen. Northwest Church, would you celebrate with these people who have made this decision? I'm so pumped for you. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.